As you're listening to the following music selections, adjust the volume, bass, and treble controls to suit your tastes. Today on Android's Dungeon, when the jack's away, the cats will play. <laughs> it's a hostile takeover. Some Twilight Imperium? Maybe some games that we don't know about yet. Stay tuned. Welcome to Android's Dungeon. It's a uh, sunny Thursday afternoon, I hope. Uh, I'm Joel. Hello, I, I am, I'm friend of the show, Mark. Uh, frequent listener, first time caller, Harry. And uh, friend of the show, Stefan. That's right, no Jack, folks. We've kicked him off the show. Featuring Mark's keys. We learned that he knew too much and he wasn't any fun. So, sayonara, Jack, this is my show hey, now. neither of those things are true. <laughs> just kidding Jake. you're great okay what do you want to talk about today joel well uh let's start with stefan stefan uh you have it's been a while since you've been on the show when was the last time you were on it's been a while yeah i mean when was the last time we played a physical game of diplomacy <laughs> seems to be my uh area of expertise no it was i think we were playing azul azul yeah Something like well Let's get caught up then. What have you been playing lately? Well, lately, we played a game of Strasbourg. Uh, that was fun. 7 out of 10 game, 3 out of 10 instructions. Um, took us a while to get going. I can't believe that a game that simple is so complicated to explain. But uh, then we played some TI4 this weekend. That was also a good time. Yeah, Strasbourg is a, is a classic game by Stefan Feld, if you don't know. Great name. One Fantastic of, name. Yeah. Member of the Aaliyah series, the famous Aaliyah series containing games like Bora Bora by Stefan Feld and Puerto Rico also by Stefan Feld. <laughs> Guy loves trading, what can I say? Yeah. So what do you think of, uh, so the big game this weekend uh, was five of us got together, so a smaller group than usual because it does run up to eight, a uh, game of Twilight Imperium 4, which is described as a space opera. Space Risk. Harry, have you ever played it? I have not, but very popular. See, I can remember back in the day when you were described civilization or mega civilization or advanced civilization with <laughs> <laughs> various titles, and you uh, ten player game? No, I don't think so. You still feel this way? No, not at all. Yeah, <laughs> really seeking out those games now. On the Civ train and i think i think you'd feel the same way about twilight imperium stefan why don't you give us a rundown of how you play the game uh well it's a uh it's a little bit like civilization where there is a combat component but combat is not everything in fact uh it's not even close to being what you need to win the game um essentially you play one of many races and each space race has a different uh, bonus. And uh, there's different aspects to the game. There's a political aspect. There is a combat aspect. Uh, and there is a trading aspect. 
and various and uh, sorry a tech technology aspect as well and uh, similar to civilization the object of the game is not necessarily to control the board but rather to meet some objectives so everybody is given some secret objectives to complete and there are also public objectives that are revealed later on in the game and as you complete objectives you get victory points and you know the, it's, a, it's a race to a certain number of victory points Space race, as it were. A space a space race, that's right. So is it is it space risk? Is it just risk in space? Well, I can tell you as somebody who played a race that essentially was forced to play at a space risk, no, it is not space risk. And does it play well when people uh, treat it as space risk? Uh, I mean, it was fun. I, I mean, it, it's a lot of dice rolling. If you love dice, you'll love space risk. For those of you out there who want to play TI4, do not play it like Space Risk. You will have a bad time because basically what, what you're going to do is you're going to knock your army count down, you're going to knock your opponent's army down, count down, and then you're both going to suffer. Uh, you had a special race that had to fight to get technology. Like yeah, that. so one of, the, one of the critical components of the game is technology. So one of the things that you do every round is you uh, draft what your action is going to be for that round, or rather what your unique action will be. So there are eight of them, and one of them is technology. And if you choose technology, uh, you get to research. And technology is very important because it gives you better units, it gives you special abilities that help you maneuver through the board or do certain things better. I played as the Necrovirus, which is a race that cannot research technology at all. But... In order to get their technology, they have to destroy enemy ships. And I happened to be squeezed in between uh, two people who barely did any technical technological research and built a ton of units. So I did end up getting into a ton of combat, but not getting any interesting technology out of it. Yeah, and when you're, when you're fighting against people that strong, they're just going to answer back with fleets of their own and just becomes this slugfest. And they can research technologies, so... The, anyway, uh, the, the I just sat off in the corner race. by myself, enjoying yeah. my my little corner of the map. So if you're playing TI four and it's your first playthrough, just nobody play the Necrovirus. So each of the players on the map, like, has a slice of the map. Yeah, you get and, a start, and you're adjacent on the map. You get a starting sector system, they're called, and each system will have either one or two planets, or sometimes three. three. Yeah. Okay. And uh, or there'll be like an anomaly there, like an asteroid field or something. And you're basically trying to expand um, to the other planets of the map so that you can then spend those resources to produce more things to expand. And then there's a beautiful giant planet in the middle called... Um, Megatol Rex. Megatol Rex. And it's the remnants of an old empire. And you're all fighting to kind of get there and get their ancient technology so that you can win. But it's, it's just a rundown of each round, uh, a new objective will flip. If you score that objective, you get a point first eight points 10 points wins and then you can also get cards that give you secret objectives which might be nefarious in nature and you also get points for those the secret objectives yes now one thing that you don't realize when you first start playing the game is that uh it's not good to wait before completing an objective because an object you can only score one secret objective and one public objective per round yeah. And so early on, you're thinking, ah, it's fine, I got lots of time. 
But then as the game goes on, there are cards that uh, change the turn order and also cards that allow you to score objectives quicker. So as you get near the end of the game, it really becomes a battle for who will play first, who will get to pick first, who will pick uh, Imperial, which is the action, which allows them to play objectives quicker. And so if you're like me and you're a, a you know, a strategy nerd and you really focus on board control and on expanding your empire and on getting resources and all that and you're not focused on the rate at which you complete objectives you can get caught with your pants down and that's exactly yeah. what happened okay so Stefan this is your third run through of Twilight Imperium what would you give it out of uh, 15 uh, dreadnought spaceships uh, I, I would I'd give it a solid 12 dreadnoughts and a flagship. Wow, that's pretty good. Yeah. Oh, everybody gets their own. That's 8 out of 10 flagship. for normal people. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah definitely. I mean, I love it. If you love epics, I mean, I, I think for yeah. anybody who's... I'd say it's the most popular epic. How, how long yeah. did this game last? Uh, this was a shortened game, so we only Just played to 6 hours. points. For a short game, how long would a, a typical game last? But uh, it what they what the rules say is start at six hours and add thirty minutes per player and that's generous that's like if you've got beginners and you play an eight player game I think we played a game a year ago Mark that where we went about twelve hours uh what we, yeah no it was about ten hours about and 10 that hours. was like nearing the end of my enthusiasm for board games if you're wondering why <laughs> Mark sounds like he's in a tunnel it's because he is he's actually no it's uh this is a big studio. Uh, but there's not a lot of mics, and we've got four guests in here. We're trying to we're trying to Thanks, share. Thanks, Doug Ford. Yeah, thanks, Obama. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, I'll honestly give give Twilight Imperium four a try as if you want to try an epic. But uh, I would just play Civ. Or yeah. try and find someone who owns TI four already. Yeah, yeah. exactly. It's, it is about one hundred and fifty dollars. So what about you, Harry? What have you been playing lately? Uh, well, unfortunately, I went to a, a bachelor weekend, and oh, the, so the groom you just is had a wild party. Of course, went drinking. A to wild the party of almost exclusively board games. <laughs> the groom is really into board games, so I have it's like twelve board games that we played over this a dozen weekend. Different games. A dozen different games over Woo! maybe two and a half days. They're all party games. Two right? days. So there are a lot of party games actually. I'll run them through really quickly. Um, we played through Concordia. Which not a party game. It's a classic, uh, classic area control game, I guess, Great. or or map based game. Um, party games. We played The Mind, which was quite interesting. Secret Hitler, Decrypto, Insider, which I really liked. One Night Ultimate Werewolf, Fake Artist, Sushi Go, and then a little medium weight games. We also played uh, some Valley of the Kings, some Reef, and then we played another uh, Feld game. In the Year of the Dragon. Oh man, so these are these are party games, but they're not party games. They're like uh, yeah, the, light strategy. Yeah, they're just like they're board light game nerd party light games. And, exactly, exactly. Not not to the level of like a what would be a classic party party game like catchphrase. Isn't the Minds like a numbers game? The Mind is not a party game at all because you sit there and the whole point it's it's like that school bus game where people have to read out numbers. So you get dealt a hand of cards and every card has a number from one to a hundred, and then. You sit there and you look at each other and you have to play the cards in ascending order, but you're not allowed to speak. 
Yeah. So it's the opposite of a party game because you sit there and <laughs> you're just silent. drinking and you are not allowed to speak. <laughs> Sounds like my kind of bachelor party. It was honestly, the only time we played the mind was, was at 2.30, 2.45 a.m. What? Like, Why? just like gone so and just sitting there and like staring drinking, down each other. So you, you can't tell like, if someone's being quiet or asleep. <laughs> yeah. Cast my mind back to last weekend and you're, you're at a bachelor party. You're having a wild time. It's coming to like 2, 2.30 in the morning. Some people have gone to bed. People are cutting it real loose and you're like, you know what we should do? Yeah, we should, we play, should play a, a silent, game, a silent game, silent of mind game. I love that idea too. The idea of like, well, boys, better get one last raging board game night because after you get hitched, well, this isn't <laughs> happening anymore. It's true. It's happened to some of my friends. They, I, you know, used to play games with Christian all the time. He got married. I went to his wedding. They moved to Milton. I haven't seen him since. It was that's, two years that's ago. That's not the wedding. That's Milton. Yeah. It's unfortunate the bride's part of our weekly board game night, so I guess hopefully well, it doesn't happen. You know what? The good thing about getting married, though, I will say, is that you have a captive uh, part partner for your, all your board games at all times. Uh, Jack knows this. I know this pretty mm-hmm. well. We're both married, and, As we, do I. and we play a lot of two-player games. Yep. Definitely some forced games, too. Oh, no, no. You'll like it. You'll like it. I swear. Yeah, just, just one game. Come on. Um, but yeah, it was otherwise good. Stefan's sitting in the corner like, hmm. I'm laughing because I don't have idea. to ask anyone permission to buy stuff. So, Wow. Fancy single man over yeah. there. <laughs> Mark, do you ever coerce Tia? Uh, you were reading some D&D to Tia the other night, weren't you? Yeah, I actually got her to her and some of our friends to play. Uh, and she liked it because it involves math. And she likes math. But she was, she was kind of harassing you when you gave her the, the damage numbers, wasn't she? <laughs> no, it was um, so it was a party of mostly first-time players, and at one point they all asked me um, to roll for how hot an NPC thought they were, uh, and they got a nine out of twenty. And uh, <laughs> the instant like neck snap, like do- you're in the doghouse face of a nine out of twenty. You're gonna sit here and tell your girlfriend she's a nine out of twenty? Like, oh no! That's the dice, though, folks. That's the dice. That's not me, babe. Should have should have rolled it behind the screen. Oh yeah, no, it's a it's a twenty. All right, so talk more about Concordia, because I, I can talk about Concordia for hours. That's the best game. It's it's funny. It's, it's a really good game, game, but I don't think that we've played it in a while. Um, I, I purchased the game months ago, and I actually hadn't opened it yet. So I brought it up this weekend, and then the groom and I woke up like early and played Concordia two-player. 1v1 Concordia. 1v1 Concordia before anyone else had woken that. up. Uh, and it was good. Uh, in the game, you are uh, it's a map of Europe or of Italy if you're playing a two- or three-player game, which we were. Um, and there are provinces, and in each province there are a number of cities, usually two to three cities. Um, and each city has a type of resource that it makes. And the basic way the game works is you have a hand of cards. Each card is a different kind of action. The cards will let you generate resources, move people around the map, and build um, cities or build houses i guess within these cities um and those houses let you generate more resources and then um you play your hand of cards and then there's one card that lets you take them all back and then you play them again um one of the coolest things about it is it's like it's a deck builder it's a resource management mm -hmm. but there's no random worker placement uh stefan you own this game right i don't but my roommate does so and you've played uh i think i've played it once highly inebriated so none of this rings a bell did you enjoy it (laughs) <laughs> I don't think I did. Uh, Joel knows my intense hatred for deck builders. Oh, that I, I, I mean, I would 
categorize it as completely irrational. Get him out of here. Completely irrational. <laughs> it's interesting um, because in in this like way, Concordia is not. It's not really a deck builder. It's like a, a hand sculptor. I don't know what to call it. The hand builder. Yeah, I mean because there's no randomness, right? I suppose. See, you I like that. Ever have a deck? You have a full hand, which then becomes mm-hmm. a discard, which becomes a hand. I like that. For the sure. less randomness, the more I enjoy a game. Right, and, and Concordia is one of those games where it introduces setup randomness, so the map is different every time, which gives you some variety in gameplay. Mm. Oh, yeah. But then the actual gameplay itself has almost no variance or variance or randomness. There, there's a little yeah. bit. But, You're dependent uh, on uh, a little bit what other people do, but for the most part, except for having to pay more money when other people go to a territory before you do, uh, it's a little bit multiplayer solitary. It's definitely a very heavily Euro-inspired game. For sure. It's uh, a little unfortunate there's no randomness because when you do poorly, it's your fault. Yeah, but I'm okay with it. Honestly, I think if I were to make a list now, Concordia would definitely be in my top seven. All right, that's pretty good. Maybe top five. Yeah, I mean, it is, honestly, when it comes to that kind of game, resource generation, I guess, uh, I don't know what you would call it, uh, Map expansion. Yeah, I don't know if you know this about very uh, good about Android's dungeon, but we're very famous, <laughs> famous around the world. Uh, and I got on the bus the other day, and somebody was sitting next to me I hadn't spoken to in about three or four years, and he said, "Hey, I heard your show," and he asked me about Concordia. Oh, really? And asked me if like he should buy it because I guess his birthday is coming up, and he's supposed to ask for a game. So. Uh, and the answer was, was no, right? Absolutely. you got to ask for the most expensive possible I game. Said, Maximize your, uh, your gift. Settlers income. of Catan is the game for you. <laughs> Mark's making <laughs> a face. I mean, we, we've talked about it on the show, I guess, before, but I was also I was talking with someone who's really into board games, and I think we both started playing Settlers, hmm. like classic uh, gateway I, game. It was my first game, like my first modern game. I played it with my family. They all decided that they would only put the robber on me, and then I got mad. <laughs> and we played something. I mean, it destroys friendships in a way that only Monopoly can really rival it, I yeah. would say. I think kind of interesting related to Concordia. If you are out there playing Catan or you like Catan, you sh- really should buy Concordia. It's definitely Concordia is just yeah. like an advanced Catan. Like, Concordia has all the same mechanics where you're building houses across a map, you're exploring across roads, you are generating resources based on where those houses are. Um, but there's just like added layers that add a lot more fun and strategy to it. Yeah, instead of cards, you get nice little wooden pieces. Yeah, which are beautiful. All right, are there any other games out of those twelve that you wanted to talk about? I played In the Year of the Dragon, which yeah. was kind of interesting. By uh, Feld. Was it was it like in, like Strasbourg? Was it like insanely hard to to read the rules and then you figured it out? Uh, yeah, the rulebook is not useful. Yeah. Thankfully, That's we were there with a we were there with a self-professed Feld head. Okay. Yeah. Fan, big fan of Feld games. That'd be the first Feld, Feld head I've ever met. He, he might be the only like, Feld head. Usually, he's like fourth or fifth on people's list of designers. <laughs> for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but it was good. I mean, I mean, a lot of his games are really good. Oh yeah, um, for sure. In this game, I've never played in the Year of the Dragon before, but uh, and I think it's it's a fairly old game. Yeah. Um, but uh, it was interesting. We had to kind of get taught it by this person only because he knew so much about it. Um, but in this game, you play a single year. It's vaguely Chinese-themed. Um, oh, yeah. Which I was slightly offended by. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> 7, 7.4 designed in 2007, so not too old. There you go, 2007. 
3.11 out of 5 complexity. Would you give it that? Uh, yeah, I would say it's a, maybe it's a little more mechanically. That's about right. It requires a lot of thinking ahead if you're going to do well at the game. Because the way it works is that you're playing through 12 months. And at the end of each month, there's an event. And the event requires you to um, pay some kind of resource or, or suffer some kind of penalty. And also gives you the opportunity to, um, to generate rewards. But the penalty you have to pay at the end of each of the events, if you're not like planning for it, is quite tough. Is it really bad? It's, it can be really bad. Generally, the way it works is you're trying to accrue people into your kingdom, and you put them into palaces. <clears throat> and it might be, you know, uh, you can only get one person per uh, month, and there's only 12 months. So you're pretty limited on the number of people you can get. And if you do poorly in one of these events, you could lose four people. So I'm seeing tiles here. Uh, and some of them are flipped, does that mean that each month is randomized as to what happens? Yeah, so that, that part of it's really interesting. The 12 months that you play through, there are two of each kind of event, and you shuffle them and play them face up. So every time you play the game, you're playing through a different sequencing of events, but the, the total number of events is still the same. Um, <clears throat> so for instance, uh, there is a drought, and during the drought, you have to have food saved up to feed your people. And if you can't feed your people, they will die of starvation. But you know that the start of the round. But you know at the beginning of the game, you know that when drought's coming. Oh, okay. So you can plan around it. If you know that there's a drought in month five, you know that you need three food. So you this can, is kind of like food in first. agriculture where you got to feed your family if you don't eat the begging tokens, which are just a death so the, sentence. But there's no begging tokens. Your people will just die of starvation. And, so and this just, game is really tough because you just lose your workers. In the center of the board, there is there are actions, and it's kind of like a euro where people can't take the same action that's already been taken unless they have to pay money. And so what ends up happening is that in the case of drought, you need food to feed your people. There's only one action that generates food, and so when people know drought's coming, they will take that action. And if you don't have oh. the money to pay for that action once it's already been taken, then you're kind of screwed. Do you ever get it sniped from you? Uh, yeah, in, in my case, I am referring to drought because I uh, I got... Uh, so you, you I were think a I had victim five, of five people of my total ten died of drought. How many people did you play with? Uh, this was a five-player game. Oh, so pretty fast. competitive. Was I th- it lo- a lot of random? I think there are seven action spaces five. total. Or sorry, there, there are seven action tiles, but there are always a number of action spaces equal to the number of players, which okay. is kind of interesting, and they're randomized. <clears throat> Sounds good. What would you give it out of... I don't know. Give, give us a rating. <laughs> if I had to give it a rating out of... <laughs> give us a rating out of uh, five cultural revolutions. Uh. If I had to give it a rating out of three Chinese rivers, I would give it 2.7. 2.7 out of three? That's 2.7 out of three. Honestly, game. very good game. Huh. Well, I guess you'll have to bump up that uh, Board Game Geek rating a bit. It's, it's, uh, it's down at 7.1 right now. Um, the art was very poor. Uh, last note. The components. Yeah. But Never, the, the it, components and theme is one of those things that we always kind of brush over because we really don't care. But, I mean, look at the components in Civ. But <laughs> I mean, uh, speaking of components. We're all like, about gameplay. TI-4. Really components. good. I mean, they're beautiful, but they're huge. They're also like Death Star things like, that they can't call Death Star. Yeah, those are cool. They're fit War together. Suns. Yeah. A war you sun. mean you have to assemble ships? Only yeah. only the one. Because it's the cool. It, it is the cool. It's like uh, the ultimate unit. Three shots no, but hit on threes. What I mean is like, and, and this is maybe the, the product of how three of us were playing it, but I've I've never seen a board so full of units. Yeah. Like Joel took a picture of of our <laughs> yeah, I'll bring of, it up. of our last uh, uh, last turn on the board, and it's it, it just 
literally the the board is flooded with massive pieces and uh it, it's just not workable for the size yeah. of the board well, really, you would say and the board is already units? huge i mean no it's just the, the units are too big you, you could easily have like the ratio i mean i don't mean to get too nerdy here but <clears throat> i mean you have ships that are literally twice the size of planets on the board like you can see here look I at see. all those ships i'm looking at a photo those ships are indeed large yeah, and and you know it's fine. I like I like the massive ships. They're beautiful. Uh, it's all part of the appeal, and I think that's really what draws a lot of uh, people to Twilight Imperium that don't know any better. <laughs> the miniatures, um, and there are a lot of Kickstarters about just generally look at how pretty these miniatures are. You should for buy sure my people. Game. I mean, it really draws people to buy games. A certain kind of person, yeah. I should say. And there's some suckers out there, some real dumb people. <laughs> I'm looking right yeah. at Mark. Who would, who would buy miniatures? I actually I actually traded one of my games. I don't know if you've ever played Evolution. I have. Um, but I had Evolution the beginning, which so like it's very uh, early Evolution creatures that you can make. And it wasn't fun. It was a. It was probably arranged for kids. It was. It was borderline edutainment. You know, if you ever played those CDs when you were a kid, like Math Blaster Mysteries or anything like that. Um, so I traded it for some more figures. I got a cool dragon and some other stuff. Um, in fact, I I know somebody who is currently looking at a Kickstarter about figures. Harry, could you pass your mic over for a second, just? I want to ask Yeah, for the record, I am not a sucker. Uh, I have not given Bones any of my money because it's on Kickstarter, and Kickstarter is refusing to allow their workers to unionize, so I'm not giving them any of my money. Um, So you're not going to back it anymore? uh, I I was going to see how it was by the end of October. Uh, No, Brent's going to back it, and I'll just keep playing Dungeons & Dragons with him. What is this Kickstarter? So Bones does this every year, and if you contribute a certain amount, you get they have like a core set of minis, and you can buy certain extras. Um, but if you donate enough money, I think it's $120 American, you get everything that unlocks all of their stretch goals. So and what is Bones? Bones makes D&D miniatures. Um, so they're usually about like $8 a figure, which is why I never buy them. <clears throat> which is why when I was Ooh. DM, we usually played with pieces from Sori and Hero Clicks that I borrowed from and people. giant Simpsons characters. And giant Simpsons <laughs> characters. Um, but it looked cool. Uh, they've... They think their original goal was thirty thousand US. They're now at one point six million. Um, yeah, that's always I love the those Kickstarter goals. <laughs> the funniest oh, joke. We're, we're hoping to maybe 000, make fifty yeah. grand. What yeah. was it like uh, Gloomhaven, for example? I think their goal was something like twenty five thousand. They made like six point four million or something. Insane. Spirit Island did the same thing with yeah. like they're yeah, they're hoping for thirty grand, and a week later it's like six fifty. Come on. Yeah. Well, if you meet your goal, then, you know, you're doing all right. People are going to back you. One thing I will say for Gloomhaven, because I played D&D with a bunch of first-timers on Friday, is that all the people who had played Gloomhaven were like, oh, okay, yeah. Like, every concept I brought up, they'd be like, oh, yeah, that's in Gloomhaven. I'm like, yeah, I know. Yeah. Gloomhaven is Dungeons & Dragons, just what? simplified. Yeah. further it's, than it's, five minutes. Harry, you played the whole thing, right? <clears throat> um, Did I play the whole thing? I don't think so. You didn't make it to the end. You were so close. You said you were right 
You were right about to finish last time I talked to you, which was like two years ago. Yeah, that's correct. <laughs> yeah. By the way, how's that work Gloomhaven game going? I can see mm. it on Tyler's Also, also the same status. I, I mean, think it hasn't moved from that desk in about two and a half years. That's correct. I, the home <laughs> game, we've played almost the entire thing. Um, and honestly, I'm kind of itching to start again yeah. and use kind of the legacy aspect of the game where the characters improve when you play it again. Yeah, that'd be um, cool. like you keep the stickers on the cards, and it gets it gets I improved. Think there's actually, a new expansion, and they have. I out. think they're at two for those of you two expansions for Gloomhaven, I believe, um, which we haven't yeah. purchased, and we would look forward to doing so for sure. But you got to finish the base game but, first. Yeah, it's I mean, kind of like uh, playing Blood and Wine before you finish. Uh, it's an it's Witcher an interesting 3. scenario because they have like 150. They have 150 missions or. or fights in gloomhaven but when you play through the campaign you don't actually play them all yeah you play like 70 or something yeah i mean we ended up playing we're close to the finish and we have ended up playing um i think 90 something and there might only be five left to finish there's just so many games out there all right i don't want to talk to you anymore pass (laughs) hello joel hi mark hello okay so your options are buy miniatures at eight dollars each or pay 120 dollars for how many miniatures um i don't know the exact number but it's somewhere in the hundreds um Ooh, that's like a dollar they, a miniature they've got a bunch like a bunch of sets of small like little monsters so there's goblins and things like that um but they also have a l- number of like really nice dragons like there's um i mean they all come unpainted but there's a very nice green dragon and a nice black dragon uh one was a dragon wolf which i thought was cool but there's no stats for it so i'd have to homebrew it Hmm. Um, Wait, these things have stats? No, like oh. they like a lot of them are. Oh, Dragon Wolf, I see that doesn't exist in D and D. It doesn't exist Got in Five E, at least. Um, it might exist in Pathfinder, but friggin' everything does. Just do a dragon that looks like a wolf. Yeah, um, and that's the other thing. When you DM, you just do whatever you want because it's your game. Um, that's right. But yeah, it's the Bones season. I think it's season three Kickstarter. It's something ridiculous like that. They've been doing. They do it every year. Um, this year's theme is the pizza escape from the pizza dungeon. Sorry, it's five. I've been being told by by Harry. Um, this year's theme is the escape from the pizza dungeon. And one of the miniatures, the main reason I'm interested is a uh, is a dragon wearing a chef's hat holding a pizza. Mm. Um, and that is going to be my. He's going to cook you alive. Hey, that's some of the character. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> Woo. Uh, what else have you been playing lately before we go to a music break? Uh, on the weekend, we played Buzzed uh, by the makers of What Do You Meme? Uh, the big game should be called Hammered. Uh, Boom. <laughs> Thanks for Mike, taking the fall for that joke, Mark. Yeah, no problem. That, that's actually a Stefan original, but I, I stole it. and uh, I disavow oh, that joke. That was entirely Mark's. Yeah, Stefan also played the joke. All right, describe uh, the game. <laughs> the jo- describe it was the a game. Joke. You get 10 seconds. Uh you find out a lot about your friends while getting hammered. Yeah, I would say flip over a card and do what it says. Usually it involves drinking. Yeah, usually it involves drinking or, again, learning how many of your friends have done cocaine. Wow. That's an interesting subject. We're going to go to a music <laughs> break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about who knows.
Night Witch, if you can get it from the uh, last words screaming out there in the night, by Wolf People. Mm-hmm. They're like Judas Priest. They like to say the name of the song in the song. Where are they from? They're from England. England. The Wolf People Vivo has this at 88,400 views. That's not oh, bad. Wow. That's not bad at all. It's about to start playing another song, though. There you go. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> cool. Don't even worry about it. We don't need Jack That's around. Cool. He doesn't do anything. What would you uh, describe that genre as? Psychedelic rock? Yeah, I would say psychedelic Neo rock. Neo-psychedelia? I, I was playing some while uh, washing dishes last night, and uh, my girlfriend walked into the kitchen and said, don't take this the wrong way, honey, but what is this? <laughs> <laughs> Reminds me of the, the classic band King Gizzard and the Wizard Lizard. Yeah, yeah. they list that as one of their, uh, their influences. Inspirations. Well, if you're if you're just joining us now and you're wondering why the production quality has gone up so so much, it's because Jack has left the show for this week, and uh, we have ambitiously tried to do it on our own, and we're doing great. And we only started like half an hour late because we missed a button. <laughs> That's right. uh, if you uh, have a show at CFRU, please try not to mess around with the soundboard because then other people come in and they don't know how to operate things. Yeah, and then Jack's not there to just be like, you idiots, it's just this button. Yeah, no, Jack would have been yelling uh, for a little bit. Yeah. But then he would have got over it. Jack would have paved the, the, the campus by now. He would have gotten Chris. Yeah. Chris would have helped us. Um, we have lost a member of the show today. Yeah, let's get uh, some Fs in the chat. Yeah, respect for <laughs> Stephen Barrett. He's no longer here. Um, but we're going to spend the second half, we're going to talk about uh, one of our favorite subjects, which is role-playing games. Yeah. It's a game. It is a game. It involves two thing- Two of my favorite things, Joel. Rolls. Tables. And playing. Exactly. D20 dice. D20. It starts. They both start with D. Oh, Go on. That's the Dungeons and the Dragons. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, surprise, surprise, Mark comes on the show and talks about D&D. He's our, he's, he's, you're basically our resident D&D expert, because I think the other yeah. times we had you on in a series was when you were running a game for us, yeah. and you were kind of filling us in on what was happening. Yeah. And for those of you who don't know, uh, my two guests today will be um, playing, actually, tonight. Mm-hmm. In a D&D campaign run by yours truly, the greatest host of Android's Dungeon of all time, Joel. Easily the top two hosts of, Gen- <laughs> of, of Android's Dungeon. Android's yeah. Dungeon and Dragons. Eh? That's a little before I'm and the after. I'm best host, but I'm definitely in the top one. <laughs> You've been funnier. 
Harry, you started a new uh, RPG that is in D&D. I did. If you've uh, listened to some other previous episodes with me on them, you'll know that I'm a big fan of Burning Wheel, which is just a different role-playing system. Um, a superior role-playing game system, if I may. What would you say? The I've never heard of this. What's, what's the biggest difference, would you say? The well, biggest difference between Burning Wheel and other systems... Well, okay. I'm going to list three differences. Yeah. <laughs> First one, I guess, is that there's... Compared to Dungeons & Dragons, there is a lot more focus on... Um, uh, interaction outside of combat mm-hmm. and it's very mechanical um so the game just provides you with stats and skills and basically everything you do is referencing your stats and your skills and it gives you a much larger framework in order to role play on mm-hmm. to add your character f- like your character and add some flaws and interests um second big thing probably is character burning which is what we did last night um so that the game provides you a really interesting way to create your character that speeds it up somewhat um you basically describe the setting and then all of your characters you go through what are called life paths in the book so if you are a human you have a bunch of different settings like villager peasant city and within each of those settings there are a bunch of life paths like occupations or things that you're doing like urchin you know knight um accountant okay so a bit more uh in depth than just the background system that five has yeah exactly and i would say it's quite a bit more in depth because each of those life paths you take in this case we took four life paths Each of those life paths consume a number of years in your life. They give you resource points, like this is the amount of money that you made while you were doing this. Um, And they also advise um, the amount of skill points and Mm. the different skills that you get. So you get skills from a life path. So if you're an accountant, you would get a bunch of accountant-type skills. Hmm. Or if you were a knight, you would get a bunch of knight-type skills. And so when you start playing your campaign, you are basically the sum of your life paths. Wow. So I'm really curious, like, what is a typical... Uh, session like because like it, in D&D obviously we've got like you've got your monsters and your devils and your demons and then you've got your deities and, and you fight or interact with the, with the level of them and usually there's some sort of like in town conversational section yeah, and then there's for some sure. combat. There's usually like a town, a con- like role play segment, a skill challenge segment and then a combat segment. For sure. I mean, one of the things I like about Burning Wheel, so Burning Wheel does not really advise you on, they don't give you scenarios. They don't really advise you on how to play like uh, like D&D does or a lot of D&D scenarios do. Um, There's also less of a focus on heroic feats. Your characters tend to be pretty bad. Hmm. And in Burning Wheel, one of the big focuses is on failing forward. So the expectation is that you will attempt to do a lot of things and you will fail at them. Mm. Um, but that failing will drive forward the storyline, and it's up to, to the to the game master or the the dungeon master to really de- uh, manage that well and make sure you're not punished for for failing, trying and failing. Hmm. Have you played these like special modules? I'm looking at uh, the blossoms are following, set in Japan, or Burning Sands Jihad. Under a serpent sun, described as suicidal despair. <laughs> Post-apocalypse. Ooh, I have, a black I have metal not. RPG. Uh, the, the, the classic Burning Wheel book, uh, Burning Wheel Gold, is really focused on kind of like a, uh, a medieval or renaissance era um, setting, like Western met? European setting, potentially with magic, if you if you so wish it. Huh. Maybe a mix between that and a little bit of uh, Lord of the Rings flavor. Do you go out adventuring, or could you play an entire story where you just stay in town and... and work on a blacksmith so that what we like about it is that it really just gives you the flexibility so the last one we were on this grand adventure um and we were like in a in middle earth setting that we had kind of invented or, or a twist on middle earth and we were you know elves fighting this uh great spirit and in this new setting we finished that campaign 
we are now um, just people. We're living in a city. <laughs> there's a there's a queen. We don't like her. Um, it's roughly 15th century Spain. Um, there is um, at this period there are three popes, which is kind of interesting. The, the papal schism is occurring. It's the best um, number of popes. There are the there are papal so, influences in Spain. Are they regional popes then? There is a Spanish pope at this time who mm-hmm. is uh, supported by the queen, and so we're fighting this weird or we're doing this weird historical fiction. Like there's not there's going to be some combat, but it's not heavily combat focused. There's a lot of like dialogue skills. Um, Influenced by Machiavelli, perhaps? Uh, heavily influenced by The Prince. I read half of The Prince and then threw it across the room in high school. So <laughs> I almost know what you're talking about. <laughs> um, have you ever met Luke Crane? I have met Luke Crane, actually, at, uh, at Gen Con. Yeah? Well, did you not. play Burning Wheel at um, Gen Con? No, I did not play Burning Wheel at Gen Con, actually. Um, but did have the chance to meet him, go to a couple panels. Um, it was very interesting. He had some things to say about upcoming uh, about upcoming Burning Wheel related products. Wow. Just reading the Wikipedia article while while you're talking there, it sounds a lot more like the like I don't know if you've ever played any World of Darkness stuff. Uh, yeah, a little bit. It like is. It's, it's dice pools and six sided die rather than a d twenty. And for sure, it's like kind of in the similar. Not I don't want to say same, but it's similar ish to World of Darkness or um, like a much 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 more complicated uh, apocalypse world. Does so in that case, does it require like a much more, um, let's say, uh, creative D and D or sorry DM for sure? I mean, GM? there is uh, much less opportunity for railroading. I think that, and honestly, because we limit even the the combat rules included in the game, there's no grid. Um, it's really not focused on distance. The combat kind figures? of assumes the fact assumes that you are like just like ranges you're 30 meters away from them mm-hmm. or you're in melee range essentially we don't have figures um we don't have a map it's all in our heads I just what? sit around with paper and some books like that's one of the things i found with talking about like even just playing with different people for dungeons and dragons right like so me and a few of my my friends are really into the combat aspect of dungeons and dragons it's an interesting tactical game um with ranges and things like that but there's a lot of like one of the things that i always felt that i wasn't great at as a dm was those role play skill challenging like all right you guys go to a town what do you want to do we go to a shop oh it has this stuff that i found on a random generator it's my it's my biggest (laughs) complaint about D &D, um is that i mean you can do that you can do in-town role playing and you can do in-town events but unless you are really imaginative there's no struggle and struggle is what makes role-playing games interesting. Yeah. But in, D- in D&D, because they don't really provide you very much um, of, like, a mechanical system in order to manage that. It's yeah, like it's, I make a skill check, I persuasion check, and you yeah, roll so a d20 w- and add your, your skill. Yeah, so I wanted to ask you about that. So, like, in D&D, the, the, at least in fifth version, there's this joke that, like, you can do anything with your money because you don't really need money. It's like yeah. it co- you get, like, 200 gold for rating a... A standard dungeon mm-hmm. an and incredible then, amount of gold and then it costs like five copper pieces for a beer yeah <laughs> it's like the the economy in D D is like all over the place you can uh, then you can go like buy a new weapon and it costs you one gold mm-hmm. yeah so, so that's one of the the complaints that i've heard about fifth edition and like well one of the valid complaints i've heard about fifth edition is that in like 3.5 i never played four but in 3.5 you could buy magical items and stuff like that right yeah and there was things that you could do with your money, whereas in five, the most common complaint is, yeah, I have like ten thousand gold. Uh, 
I'll just give it to an NPC. Yeah. yeah. You can build an estate. I actually sent Jack the exact specifications, what you needed as far as conditions and nearby quarries and the estimated labor cost and maintenance cost of building a castle. So that is something you could uh, aspire towards. Ooh, economic simulator. Now, yeah. in Burning Wheel, how does it work? Um, so in Burning Wheel, I think they just give you a lot more uh, options. And they also give you a heavier role-playing element. You know, D&D 5th Edition, they really introduced, or they tried to introduce some more details. Like you select a background, mm-hmm. which is nice. They ask you to fill in traits and beliefs and flaws, I think. And you can go right ahead and ignore all of those and be a murder hobo. 100%, which is, I believe, what most people will do. Um, But mandatory to Burning Wheel, your character has to have beliefs, um, which you have to have three beliefs. Sometimes you have a fourth belief, which really kind of drive your character's behavior. Um, You have to have character traits, and you have instincts, which are rules about your character's behavior. Like I, you know, I never turn down a drink, let's say. and the game really rewards you through a, a system called Artha for intentionally making bad decisions or playing towards character flaws. Yeah. Mm. Um, like I never, or I never turned down a drink, for instance. Um, you choose to do that, and you get, I would say, fairly heavily rewarded for it. And it really drives the, I would say, the storyline forward in that way because it's not pushing for success; it's pushing for like good role playing and personal advancement. And then even more interesting is when you build in flaws and you build conflicts into your character, you can write two beliefs that directly conflict with each other. Mm. And at that point, a good GM, a good like game master will challenge your beliefs. And at some point, you will have to break with one of your beliefs and your character will completely change. Yeah, it sounds like there's a little bit less, like you said, like a good GM will, will do this and that. Dungeons and Dragons 5th edition, I think, like... There's the idea, there's the thing talking about the the Mercer effect, right? Like everyone wants their DM to be Matt Mercer and Mm -hmm. think of all these big complicated things. And sometimes it's just the DM is the guy who bought the books, Uh, (laughs) which is what happened with us. I (laughs) I bought the books, so I was the DM at first. But like you you make these characters and it's really up to the DM to introduce things that challenge that. Um, Like in our current campaign, like there's, there's been a little bit of friction between me and the rogue. Uh, yeah. Because I'm lawful, I'm like the lawful good paladin, but I think. But we've... you, as a player, decide how how much you amp that up. Whereas for I sure. think in Burning Wheel, there's actually a gameplay functionality for it. Yeah, I mean, there there's a lot more gameplay functionality, and there's a lot more direct conflict. I think it's more, it's more like you are rather than trying to meet an objective that the DM in in D and D has presented to you, or rather than trying to meet some party objective, you are just trying to meet your soul objectives, essentially. And that's actually something I was thinking about today, Joel, because Joel and I were talking about writing a campaign together. Um, Spoiler! And Joel and I have different approaches. Like like I said, I'm really into combat. I like to give my team, my like party a nice challenge that they have to overcome. But one thing, for me at least, that the mark of a good game is having a goal, having an end point for your, your party. Mm. So is that something that when you are when you were making up this, did you say, all right, at the end of the campaign, they're going, this is what ends the campaign. This is what they're going to do. Or are you more, all right, let's give them a few options. Yeah, for a campaign this short, which is only supposed to be five sessions, I think it's pushing to six now, uh, you, you're going to have to have something that they're going to do in the end, yeah. Uh, for a longer one, I think you, you kind of, it's easy to homebrew it as you go, right? Yeah. Uh, but 
maybe three or four goals and then see yeah, which or maybe they it's always to do because you don't have a goal as a player you don't want to have your agency taken away from you right, right? it's like right. oh yeah. do you want to go through this uh teleportation circle that i made for you uh you, well you could not go through it and go wander off into the jungles of sure. mastica but then you know <laughs> we're gonna have to play a different campaign i <laughs> seem to remember joel when we were doing storm king's thunder a peasant walked up to your fighter and said will you please help us our pigs have been stolen and your fighter's answer was no <laughs> and I just sat there like, so you don't want to play Dungeons and Dragons? Like this is this is the quest you have today. Well, that's the thing, right? Is as a DM, you have to be ready for anything. Yeah, and I think part of it for me is like, like okay, th- this shouldn't be the character that is getting asked. I should have gone to like the lawful good cleric, not the yeah. like new. Was mm-hmm. it was he lawful evil fighter? Yeah. Um. So there's a there's a bit of that in it too, and especially one of the challenges I find when I'm writing stuff is to try and keep it party agnostic. Yeah. Right. Because sure. I there were a few things that I wrote. Like I, the one shot we did on Friday was like homebrew, and I built this nice bridge encounter to introduce combat, explain ranges and how combat works and all of that. And it was this broken bridge going over a river. They had to like there's a ten foot gap and then a fifteen foot gap so they could jump over the first one, but no one had strength high enough to jump over the first, second one. But the druid walks up and uses shape water to create a bridge, and they all just walk across nice. it. And it's like, oh, okay, so you've just completely sidestepped. <laughs> The entirety of this. So, like, one thing I found in doing a pre-made is, like, if you have a character that does this, then this happens. So For it's sure. nice to have the if-then. They've, they've thought it through. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's good that they've thought it through um, with respect to, like, involvement in the story because that's how people get into it. You know, like, their their choices, their actions have an impact on it. They feel like they have some agency, like Joel mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's kind of the, the only way that they can really feel like they're role-playing their character and getting into it. Yeah. It's kind of like you guys watched Bandersnatch. No. Bandersnatch no. was like a uh, a Netflix movie, but it was like a unique and the first ever Netflix movie to give you a choice as a viewer. So it was kind of choose your own adventure. But the not to give too much away, in the adventure, uh, there's a person who's making a game, which is a decision tree dungeon crawl For game. Sure. And he's basically finding that every time he tries to make certain decisions or like design certain decisions the game will bug out in a certain way and then his life kind of becomes the bandersnatch puzzle and then you as the viewer become uh stuck and Uh predetermined yourself so do you really have choice do you not have choice and so as a dm you want your players to do a certain thing uh, if they go off and they do something else here you can either just embrace that and have them branch off or you can find a way to sure. gently push them back towards it. It might be, might be one of the biggest limitations of D&D and one of its strengths is they provided this really well-fleshed-out tactical combat simulation, like, rules, essentially. But mm-hmm. yeah. it means that you can't just, like, imp- do an impromptu combat. It takes prep. Like, you have yeah. to figure oh, out, yeah. look up the monsters in it. You have to have their stats. Um, and it becomes much harder to do. There's a cost, I guess, to doing branches like that. Yeah, and if there's an impromptu battle like you described it's usually not as good as the ones and it's usually <laughs> obvious to anyone that's Pretty dm like oh if joe just did this together oh yeah for seven sure. of these and three of these because harry didn't show up today <laughs> <laughs> yeah and like the other thing that i run into is like like i guess the the thing is like D didn't start out as a role we'll all, all pretend to be hobbits and or sorry halflings uh fuck it suit uh elves and orcs like let's uh you know it, it was rules for fantasy wargaming right and then from there, sure. like, okay, but I also want to be in character. Sure. People have different demands, definitely. Yeah. yeah. And so I think it's good that, like, Dungeons & Dragons, especially with Dungeons & Dragons becoming, like, a bigger, 
like as a wider it's appeal huge. these days. You so get these right other now. RPGs coming in, like, all right, well, I really want to do something more like narrative based, like, uh, like uh, Burning Wheel. There are as many higher. RPGs as there are people. Yeah. Speaking of new RPG, just announced the Root role playing game. Oh yeah, totally the Root that. tabletop role playing game, uh, Root. which is different than the. There's another. I think it's a campaign setting, a Humblewood or something. Yes, like that. there is. Yes, that is dude, not which root, is, but yes, it's almost which is different. Exactly. Um, <laughs> so you know, root as a you know really popular, kind of quite hot right now. Um, tabletop, uh, I don't know, combat focused area control game. Yeah. Um, asymmetric. Um, so they have released uh, the publisher of root is working with I think Magpie Games uh, to release a role playing book. Uh, it's powered by the apocalypse which means that it's basically just a rule set and they've layered on all of the root flavor. It's powered by the end of the world. Exactly. So it's kind of a it's a pretty common system I would say, powered by the apocalypse, powered by the apocalypse uh, except they've put it they've added it all uh to root flavor. And so you're playing as vagabonds and interacting with kind of uh conflicts that are going on in the forest. That's cool cuz when I the first Maybe first time I played Root, I played as the Vagabond. And halfway through it, I'm like, this would make a really fun, like, role-playing For sure, because you are a single character, and you are kind of of having a small influence on forces that are greater than you. So in this case, are you a group of Vagabonds? You are a group of Vagabonds, yeah. And you are different kinds of Vagabonds because there are different Vagabonds in Root. Mm -hmm. And just generally the way that Powered by the Apocalypse works is that you have general moves, which everyone can do. And then you have character-specific moves, um, which are always really flavorful. Mm-hmm. Um, so in this case, let's say you are like the thief vagabond, you would definitely have moves like, you know, steal from someone. Nice. And you're the only one that can steal. It's not like when it's like, oh, this is my proficiency, and so I get plus three to it. Yeah, exactly. And unlike these other games, you don't really build your character, per se. You just pick a. They're really good to uh, pick up and play, mm-hmm. um, powered by the Apocalypse games, because you just get a character. You have a character sheet. It's fixed. On that proficiency note, that's another thing that the one of the changes I don't like from 3.5 to 5 is in 3.5, you had trained and untrained. There were certain skills mm-hmm. you couldn't do unless you knew how to do it, like medicine. If you tried to bind a wound and you didn't know how to do it, you'd like injure your, right. your party member. And in 5th edition, just everyone can try. Everyone can try. Yeah, you can roll a nat. Your half-orc with 8 intelligence can roll a nat- natural 20 on an arcana check. And heal and any kind of wound. See the time knife. I will say that after playing Twilight Imperium 3 and then teaching uh, this weekend Twilight Imperium 4, and it is definitely an improvement going to the next game, um, that I can understand why people have such a hard time uh, DMing when they've when they've run multiple versions of the game. I don't know yep. if uh, Burning Wheel has multiple versions or if you've played through multiple versions, but this We have is run into tough. that a lot doing five, right? Because, like, uh, first charge, not a thing in five. You have to take feet. Yep. And then AC, you have to meet, not exceed. Maneuvers. Um, maneuver flanking is gone. Preparing actions. Hmm. You can kind of hold your action, but... Um, yeah, that was that honestly, was the thing that I noticed watching you know, the end of Critical Role is that you can't you can't just say oh I'm gonna hold my turn you have to say I'm gonna do this when this happens. Interesting. I, I don't think it's come up for me because I still haven't read the fifth edition rules. Yeah, you're just yeah. a little. Mean. Harry, you're just doing it by ear. You're just like, I, I'll cast this. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, like just sort of as an example, um, poison uh, used to just straight up kill you, and now you know what it does. Poisons you. You just roll at disadvantage over time. Oh, what? Mm-hmm. So well, we, po- so there was anymore. poison and disease, and they would do like ability score damage. 
Um, and now you can take poison damage. It used to do like, oh, it, like a snake uh, would bite you and you'd lose constitution instead yeah, of just right, taking right. additional damage. Yeah. Anyway, in the dying minutes of the game, are you, what are you looking forward to most about tonight? I want to smite some people. I'm, some a, smite I'm a cleric, and when I should heal, I will instead kill. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Donald, Harry's character, is a trickery cleric. Anyway, thanks for listening. This has been another episode of Android's Dungeon. Check us out on, uh, you know, Instagram, Twitter, all those other things. I don't have our handles, but, you know, look up Android's Dungeon. We're it's, probably the only one. It's usually Andy Dungeon or Android's.Dungeon. So, right, I'm Joel. I'm Mark. And I'm Harry. Thanks for listening.